You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Podcast. This is episode 343. Hello, everybody. We are super excited to be here. We're uh, well rested after a week of not doing a show or something. Or <laughs> we something. are the Family Gamers, as always. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm joined by my lovely, wonderful wife, Nitra. That's me. And we have a special guest on the show, friend of the show. Uh, I think this is his third time on, but it feels like the first because I love having him on. Mr. Jeremy Howard is on the show. Hello, sir. Hey, party people. How y'all doing? First of all, thank you so much for having me back on here. And uh, I'm really excited to be here. Of course, that's what every guest would say. But I am. I'm always excited to come. We've been, we did this for like 50 episodes apart, right? So it's yeah, been a while. Like that. Like that, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. So, you know, years ago, since for years we've been doing this. <laughs> so, well, you know, yeah. I, I always say it's not the first call for business. It's the second call for business because it means they weren't disappointed by the first call. So right. I that's something that we love having you on the show. So. All right. Yeah. So I'm, I really do appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm look, I was looking forward to being here. So let's go ahead and hey, let's do all this. Right, let's do this. Okay. Now, Jeremy, I, all right. Do you play video games? I know you play a lot of board games. Do you play video games? Yes, I okay. play some. Like when I say some, actually, I only play one. I have a lot of video games. Don't play them. All. Right, right. <laughs> so. Okay, I, I feel that. Okay. Well, as everybody knows, I, I come up with a fact on every episode. This episode is episode 343. And I, I pointed this oh. out to Anitra and I said, if you're a video gamer, you should know this number. I yes. got really nervous. And Anitra was confused. Um, but I'm willing to just hand in my video game cred on this. Because now I've looked at the notes and she I had no idea. She did not know. And I said, well, would it mean Ugh. anything if I said 343, three, if I said it a little different? Right. She still had no idea. Not for me now. No, Jeremy, no. Jeremy, what am I talking about? 343 three Studios is, Absolutely. I believe, the OG publisher. OG or the owner of the Halo. Of Halo. So, yeah, so owner well, of. Ori- technically, it started Bungie. as Bungie, and then Bungie right. got bought by Microsoft, and then Microsoft yeah. peeled it off as its own kind of deal, 343 Industries. But you are correct, sir. Yeah. I'm, in fact, referring to random Halo crap, basically. <laughs> 343 <laughs> is practically synonymous with Halo to the point where Microsoft named the studio that developed it, yeah. 343 Industries. But I wanted to do a little bit of extra research, because like that's a fact, but like that's not an interesting fact. That's just a thing mm-hmm. that a lot of people know. Fire. So where did it come from? Do you know where the where the number three four three came from? Isn't that that their squadron? No. So in the first Halo, the monitor for the station, which is that little floating thing yeah. that talks to you, was three four three guilty spark. And okay. that, was his, that was his name. And so you meet him in Halo One, and then like there's this whole I don't know if it's like comic books or like novels or whatever, but like three four three guilty spark basically becomes like an Ultron character. Like he gets destroyed and then like rebuilds himself and he's got a whole, there's a whole thing, but that's not important. That's just like, no, no. You know what it is? You know what it is though? In that world, there's so much world that sounds so cool. And yet nobody cares about. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like like even though Halo like hit the mark, it also missed the mark. Like, 
this what? there was like a there's like another projection of halo that like i think there's another trajectory of halo that it never reached like it was supposed to reach it through that tv show maybe or like a movie that was like oh we need to know everything about halo yeah there's and all then, that room for more world yeah. building and more depth and it just, it just didn't quite pan out just master chief as a whole like the real story of master chief you know like what happened to all those kids and all that stuff like <laughs> It, you could be so deep inside of that, but something happened where nobody cares anymore. Like just something happened where it's just like whatever, who cares? You know what they needed to do? Like like almost like a Star Wars Rebels or Star Wars Clone yes. Wars style animated TV show. I think would really do. Uh, yeah, really good thing for him. I like, think it, so. It be past its opportunity at this point, but I don't. You know, know what? I think they have something like that. Do you? I think do they, they have something like you know, like uh, the Matrix, the Renaissance, and stuff like that. I think they have a version of that where it's like, like a bunch of snippets from that world. Oh, oh, like the Animatrix or the, yeah, like the Animatrix, Animatrix or whatever yeah. those things. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I don't, but cool. I think they have something similar. I think, yeah. Well, if you're out there and you're like yelling at your podcast device, thing, right? Who are these guys? Stick to board games. Well, no, you know, if you know about this Halo stuff, please tell us. So here's some other random facts about three four three. Three four three is seven cubed. Ah. And seven is a number frequently seen in Bungie games and mythology. In the first Halo and in Halo 3, if you look at the eye on the 343 Guilty Spark, you can see the logo from the game Marathon. Now that one was up my alley. Which was the first Bungie game ever made. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Also, there are notable similarities between Guilty Spark and Durandal both able to teleport the main character and end up rampant. And that's pretty much it. That's all I got. But I, I you know, a couple of interesting facts about three, four, three, seven cube. I had gone. <laughs> all right. That's a good one. All right. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Anitra because I have a message from our sponsor. Did you know that that 401k you have from an old employer might be getting weighed down by fees? Brightscope recently reported that average fees for small plans range between 1.5% and 2%, with plenty of plans paying more than 2% a year in fees. Luckily, your 401k has to report the fees that you're paying, so if you look at your statements carefully, the fees should be in there. To give some context, if you left $10,000 in an old 401k that was charging a 2% administration fee, then 20 years later, that fee would have cost you close to $5,000. If you want help looking at your old 401ks to make sure you're not overpaying, go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and set up a time to chat today. Thanks so much to the team at First Move for sponsoring this episode of the show. All right, Jeremy, it's that time where we talk about some games that we've been playing. And as our honored guest, you get to go first. Oh, my great Scott. Oh, great Scott. I'll tell you what. I'm going to talk about a very big game that I have been playing, and it's actually delivered to people right now. It's called Isofarian Guard. It is <laughs> a gigantic solo game. Uh, it is a solo game. It can be played with two players. Uh, that There are a team of two people, uh, but you can definitely, it's really kind of advertised as a solo game. And that's what the, argu- the the audience is targeting. And what you what you have here is a bag building adventure game. Uh, so it has you're, you're taking these chips, which represent different attacks and shields and different status effects, 
and you're pulling them out of this bag to attack and, and go back and forth. But you're also using these chips as action selections. So you're taking sword chips and putting a combination of them on a card to activate that card. And as you play these pieces on the cards, they flip over and they activate and give you different abilities. Um, so like if you use a card at the end of the round, it'll flip over to its other side, which has a different type of ability and different things that come across it. But one of the really cool things about this is, is not only does it activate, if you activate one chip and then you activate another card at the same time, there's another ability for comboing it together. So it'll be like, hey, I do this, but then if I do another card, it activates a combo off that. And then if I do another card, it activates a combo off that. And of course, the different characters have different ways of playing off this. For sure. example, you have these two guys, at the, it's, it's Alec and somebody else, and uh, it's Alec and another guy. And uh, you're, one hey, of them is like, guy. yeah, hey, other guy. <laughs> and uh, let's just call him Jeff. And, like, and uh, th- there's one guy who's like, kind of like a more of a set him up type person with like potions and different things like that. They power, power you up, give you more actions. And then there's other ones that will, he's kind of like the knock him down person. He's the sword guy. He's got all these moves and he knows how to block. And he gets his extra actions and starts mowing people down. But what I really enjoyed about this game overall, other than like the combat, which seems very random at first, but you are literally building your bag as you level up, adding swords, adding a more efficiency to your bag, which is kind of like having a deck of cards and you're kind of raising your probability, although enemies are putting them in there. The one thing that I really liked overall is just the adventure, the scale of the adventure. You have this big map, you're straight up going around the world in an open world format. You have a base, you're building up your base, you're going to get materials, chopping down trees, you're you're going in mines, you're mining, you're also just fighting random events. So it feels very Final Fantasy-ish when you do that part or any kind of open world game like let's say The Witcher, uh, except you're not going to be like discovering bosses. You kind of know where, they're, where they are and you kind of know the story. And the story kind of is this fantasy thing where you're kind of like the you're not chosen ones, but you're like these people that have like the glow and they have these abilities, right? So like the people who have the glow are like these people we don't know yet, but they have some kind of special powers attached to them and and they don't even know why they're trying to discover. And it's told very well. I expect it to be generic over time and it didn't get boring. They even have a foreteller app that helps tell the story. And I found that that part really sucked me into the theme and uh, there's just like a whole bunch of fun little random events that happen. You, you take people to towns, they help you out. You could go fishing. You can you know, just do all these little fun little things that makes you feel like you're in a lived-in world uh, that keep you kind of interested. Because even the bag building can maybe be samey to some people. But that's just the major mechanic of the game instead of just chucking dice, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I just found that this game, I'm, I'm a good 20 hours in. I'm going to probably put that back on my table and uh, play some more. Uh, just to get through, make sure I get through the whole first campaign. But I've been having a wild ride with that. Game is absolutely amazing. Well, I didn't actually realize that that was designed to be a solo game. Yeah. I mean, it, it really was never in my wheelhouse or whatever, you know, to begin with. So I didn't really look into it in, in a lot of detail. But that that is a, something I, I did not realize. Yeah. It, it ain't, the thing is, is it is a two-player game, but for some reason they really pitched it as like it's going to be a solo game where you're just by yourself. Well, there's always two people there. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, the, 
the way you describe it, it really sounds like it took a lot of elements from like a video game. Like I, I almost think of like yeah, a Zelda or something where you're like, oh, there's the fishing side quest in Zelda yes, or whatever. Definitely shows that the events are the, the the big thing with that is is that the events are so random and rare. Mm-hmm, as far mm-hmm. as that goes, which I really enjoy when they do have them because they still have like a choice element to them. You're, you're doing things or whatever uh, because they have these three random decks that represent like the top of the map, the north, and then they have the middle and then the bottom. Well, you, you have to pull like an escape, like a, a random pull when you move to another dot. So like, say, like, hey, you travel. Well, you go into the bag and it'll have like level one, level two, level three, and then it'll have these two random event things in there. So if you pull a random event, you get to put like on this card, and then the random events will pop up, possibly. Otherwise, you got to fight an enemy. So one of the big drawbacks of this game is, is that you do have to set up combat quite often. It's a lot of combat in this game. Yeah. And, you know, that could bog you down a little bit. It's very well organized, which is great. It's not hard to set up, but it is. In the beginning, you're like, I'm setting this up to fight this guy. It's going to probably take me two turns to kill. But, yeah, you know, yeah. that's that's that part is part of when you play campaign games. It's not going to change. But this one is very well organized, so it doesn't feel like that. Even the save system, I mean, you straight up can put everything behind your boards inside of this thing, close it, put it away. Nice. I got it right behind me right now. So I can set that game up to go back on my table. It takes about 10 minutes total. Awesome. All right. And it's all on the floor right now. And I can just, <laughs> it's straight up on the floor right now. I can just pick it up off the floor and put everything on this table. And I would probably have it all set up in 10 minutes. Cool. Yeah. All right. Anisha, you want to go next? Sure. Well, that makes me think of the, I'll say the biggest feeling game that we played in the last two weeks. Um, not actually the biggest table space wise, but that was Hickory Dickory. Oh, how was that? It is super, super cute. It had a lot more setup to it. I'm going to say that I really wanted it to. Yeah. Okay. Not really more than I expected, but more than I really wanted. Yeah. I, I think okay. I think that'll be easier once we have a better clue what's going on. And yeah. it's not, you know, one person shouldering all of the setup <laughs> for that one. Yeah. It'll get easier over time. We did have some minor issues with the main set piece to this, which is that you're putting together these like clock hands that slot into the board, but you have to take them all the way apart to put the board away. And then you have to put them all the way together again when you get the board out. And that's... It's just a little bit of a pain. It's a little bit of a pain. They're a little bit... No, it's a little bit more than that. It's a little bit more than that. (laughs) I understand. Well, especially because like a lot of plaid hat games, this looks like it should be a game to play with your kids and it yep. totally can be, but only if you've got it all set up and ready to go yes. before any kids get involved, because otherwise yep. they are going to get bored during the setup phase yeah. and you're going to lose yeah. them. Yeah. So this game, I think, I mean, this is probably an eight plus game, but I still would call it my first Zulkin. Okay. Because the main mechanic of this game is that you have all these mice that you are having jump onto the clock hands as the clock spins around and then jump off the clock hand at the various numbers to perform certain actions, which is a very Zolkany kind of a thing yeah. where you're trying to figure out the timing to you're get things to on and off and whatever. When do we get off and when do you get on? Yeah, because the next level strategy on this game is not, oh, I jump on the thing, I get some stuff. And then when the arm comes all the way back around, I jump back on and I do the next thing. The next level strategy to this is figuring out a way that you can jump off to get an action and somehow 
transfer those resources to another mouse who can then who perform can another action in the thing. same yeah. like okay. in the same hour of the minute hand going around. Because if you don't do that, then you really only have like six chances to do something, uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, yeah. with with each of the mice. And so we need to play it more times to really kind of capture some of that. But all the different mice have slightly different abilities. So you have, I think you start with three and you can get a fourth mouse. Yes, you start with three certain spots on the clock and certain like randomly drawn abilities will let you get that fourth mouse. Yeah. And, and there, you know, it's things like one of the mice has a an ability to jump to like a, a neighboring number or something like that. Another mouse has a bigger bag so it can carry an extra item. You know, it's stuff like that. So it's it's not really asymmetric from a player level because everybody has the same set of mice, but you have different mice with different kind of abilities to them. And so the goal of the game is to capture resources trade them in to get, you know, victory points for having, it's got this kind of like column row thing yep. where you're well, collecting certain resources to yeah, fill you've your got columns a, and rows. You've got a bunch of ways to get victory points. Mm-hmm. One of them is just collecting items and then turning them in, turning in sets. The, yeah. the bigger and more cohesive the set, the more points you get. But you can also turn in sets and fulfill these gold cards when you're turning in sets, if any of the stuff you're turning in matches stuff on your board, you get to put it on your board, which might earn you points at the end of the game if you make those rows and columns. You can collect stuff to bring to King Cuckoo, but then the mouse has to sit on the clock all the way around to the 12, because that's the only place to to deliver stuff to you King said Cuckoo. You said deliver the resources to whom? King <laughs> Cuckoo. All right. Thank you. <laughs> And then there's also that um, counterweight system yeah, the, yeah, the, that's the, at the, the bottom of every, yeah, it's you know, like a grandfather clock, grandfather the, clock, the grandmother system. clock. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you can have mice move your little counterweight thing. And if you get to certain points on that, you can get big point bonuses there, too. Yeah, so I so, like that there's lots of different ways and it's you can choose to focus on one. But you do need to have a strategy because if you don't like me, then you just kind of flounder around and be like, I don't know what I'm doing. But but this is why I call it my first Zulkin. Like it's got a lot of those same kind of things where there's clearly a bunch of different kinds of ways to get points. It's almost like a worker placement kind of thing the way Zulkin is, but it's definitely a lot more simple and the strategy isn't quite as deep. Yeah, I can wrap my head around what's actually going on in Hickory Dickory, which I couldn't. <laughs> Or I really struggle to with with so, Zulkin. So, do you really think that this is like who's the actual audience for this? Like buyer wise, because it, it it seems kind of touchy. Like it seems like it's in a weird middle place. I think honestly, like a lot of plaid hat games, I think the real audience is adults who like a fair bit of strategy and want something kind of cutesy. Okay. I, I, I also think that if you are a family where everyone in your family likes to game. Or, or you have a, you know, a, it doesn't like if you if you're a family of seven and four of you like the game, like that's fine. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It, it really is a gamer game. Those, yeah. I don't think those yeah. gamers need to be adults. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it is. You a gamer definitely game. can play it with gamer kids. Yes. Um, and I think, frankly, I think this will go over better than the more the more role play, the more kind campaigny of... stuff like the stuffed fables. Yeah. Or whatever, right. you know? I think it'll go over better with our kids than those did. But I don't think it's going to go over as well with our kids as, say, Quirky Circuits, which had that same kind of cutesy, but it was a programming mechanic, which um, it was just a lot faster to get into for our family anyway. 
Yeah, I, I think this is a game that is going to benefit from familiarity a lot. Okay. So, but I, I mean, we enjoyed playing it. I'm looking forward to playing it more for sure. I mean, you know, you talked about the setup before. This is a game that I kind of wish I could leave on the table for multiple plays, you know, just to not have to deal with that. For me, this feels like a like appointment gaming. Like this is the one where you say the day before, like, all right, tomorrow night we are going to play Hickory Dickory and like somebody's going to get it all set up and it's going to be all ready. And you're just going to sit down and be like, here's the quick rules refresher. Now let's play. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Well, gosh, that means it's my turn now, huh? Uh, yeah, um, buddy. Okay. Lock in, uh, lock in, no pressure. It, it, listen, I have them all written down here. I am <laughs> going to talk about Unmatched Teen Spirit. Oh. So well, I want to counter you a little bit here. How about I talk about with you? I'm going to talk about, we're going to talk about Unmatched as a whole. Okay. Because I happen to have the new pack coming soon. It is country. called Me nice. and Country. So let's go ahead and talk some Unmatched together. Lots of, lots of right. Marvel characters. I, I, I actually thought that one was. Avail is it not available yet? I thought it was. It's not available yet. Yeah, oh, it's about. It should be available like now. Very soon, if not. Yeah. Yet. So we pulled this one out. I played against. I think my son. I don't remember I who probably. I played against. It might have been uh, our our daughter, but I was Squirrel Girl, and mm-hmm. I played against Ms. Marvel, which was awesome. And yeah. squirrels are awesome. So for those who are. are familiar with Unmatched, uh, Squirrel Girl has seven squirrel tokens. They count as small creatures, which means you can have up to four of them on a space, Ooh. and they can share a space with regular size characters. Oh, man. So all of her bonuses are around having, I mean, unsurprisingly, having adjacent squirrels and stuff like that. So I think I dealt something stupid like nine points of damage to whoever I played against because I had four squirrels on either side. Because if you maneuver, you can move all of the squirrels. Oh, so, sure. I mean, because you can move anything with them. Yeah, normally yeah. when you maneuver, you can move your hero and yeah. any sidekick. And, oh, and sure. because squirrels are small, they can move through friends or enemies. Sure. Oh, so, my God. You've got this mob of tiny <laughs> it was, characters. It was ridiculous. The whole thing was ridiculous. So, yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, they're great. I played later and I took Ms. Marvel because I figured she would be pretty straightforward and I like her. And Asher tried Cloak and Dagger. Okay. So Cloak and Dagger is one of those setups where it is a two hero team. Neither one of them is right. actually the sidekick. You have to defeat them both. Okay, That's, sure. They are one. So yeah, that makes yeah, sense. So, oh, I will say, by the way, before so you keep going, the only bad thing about the squirrels is that if you have like four squirrels on a space and your opponent attacks that space, they hit all of the squirrels with the full attack. Oh, sure. And they sure. only have one hit point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, I mean, that, and that's fine. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the trade off. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, uh, sorry. Back to Cloak and Dagger. I, that's about all I have to say about Cloak and Dagger. There was a lot of light and dark theme going on with that, but sure. I paid a lot more attention to Ms. Marvel, which is who I was playing with. And it was really fun seeing all of the ways that the unmatched designers kind of put her powers into how this character operates. That, you know, yeah. she's stretchy. And so, one of the things she can do is move one space like i think it's at the end of her turn or maybe it's at the beginning of her turn it's just like you can move a little extra and there were a lot of you know you can attack from farther away but a lot of her cards give her extra benefits if she actually doesn't share zones with the people that she's trying to attack because she can like reach into other zones but she so she can reach into other zones but she actually does better if she's not right up next to 
Okay. The person she's attacking, or if she can manage to be next to them or one space away, but in an entirely different zone. Ah. The element of surprise sort of idea. Yeah. Well, so but she's Ms. not Marvel, a ranged character. So Ms. that Marvel makes has the really same ability as the T-Rex, where even though it's a melee attack, you can do it from two spaces away. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Uh -huh. is it's, it's more like the T-Rex, except Ms. Marvel is not a large character, so you do still have to get right up next to her. Interesting. To so let me give you a little little sniff of the King and Country. So King and Country is like there's another set that has like little uh, little things you can pick up and interact with the board. Mm -hmm. This one has that too. Like it has guns. It has like little things that you can interact with as well to fight and range. So you've got the helicarrier, the whatever that helicarrier, the Avenger, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. and you are fighting as Black Panther, and with Black Panther. You can take cards and absorb them and put them in this little deck that you hold. So okay. you take the cards and you like when people it's like after that, after combat, take this card that they used and you taking your opponent's cards oh, and putting them in, under your deck. So then when it's time to let go, then you kind of let go a bigger attack as you do it. I mean, that's the basic trick to them. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, to Black Panther. It makes total sense. You know, he's got these really cool little moves, but really it boils down to making sure you have as much power stacked up behind under that deck. Sure. The one the one thing that I really do like, and people hate it, like I've heard early things from people not liking this. I love Black Widow. I love her. And this is interesting. This happened through Dice Throne too. I had no idea I would love this character that much. It's just something about mechanically how they pulled this one off. So for her, instead of like fighting straight up, you are fighting straight up, but you're trying to complete missions on the board. So you're like trying to get to certain positions and do certain things in a spot. And then when you do that, you unlock this like cool thing that, you know, like a cool attack or whatever. But her job is like to complete these small little conditional missions. And if you complete them, then you get to do like a nice little cool little attack or a dodge or special thing. I just thought that that was, I, I don't know, I, maybe it was just because I got my butt kicked doing it. <laughs> I got my butt kicked <laughs> by my buddy at work who was doing it. I absolutely loved it. I have not played with the Winter Soldier yet, but I thought that those two decks were interesting. Of course, Black Widow being more interesting. But just like in Dice Throne, I just found that like, wow, they really like me, make me like Black Widow more than I like the movies <laughs> and the character you know, like as a whole. So yeah, this one, that was pretty cool. That was is pretty cool, and I, I can tell you, unmatched is just a gift that keeps on giving. Totally. It really totally. is. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we do one more game each? Okay, Jeremy, you go next. All right. So I'll give you a game that's not here yet, and it won't be coming until Gen Conish. It is okay. called Federation. Federation is a Euro game. It's a medium weight Euro game, and it is one of the most interesting games I've played in recent times. It has worker placement, area majority, multiple tracks, and voting at the same time. Wow. Okay? That's a lot of stuff. So in this game, what you're trying to do is, is you're selecting actions using your pieces. One, two, I think it's like one, two, and three or something like that. It's one, two, and three. You get like two ones, one, two, and a three or something like that. What you're doing is, is you're putting those pieces down in like these two sides. These two sides have a bunch of actions. You put it down on that action. You take it to that power that of the number. Or you flip it over and you get like an ability from that chip. So you have the vote for the side, 
or you flip it over for the power of the side. And then you take that action. So it's like you have these things. And then you also have little pieces that you put on top that give you extra power or or this <laughs> or that. It's I'm not going to go so deep that you'll like, what is he talking about? But there's two different sides. So when you place on there, you are deciding, one, the amount of power you're adding to a side. Okay? So if I put down a two, two votes are going to that side. Okay? If I put down a check... On the other side, nothing, zero. Mm. But there's a reason for that. Then what you're doing is, is as you do these things, now on the sides, there are different like kind of games. There's things where you can collect abilities. There's things where you can collect tracks, where you collect resources, how far you go out. There's ones where you dedicate resources for points. There's ones where you can dedicate resources to get actions during the end of the round. There's one where you go around like a galaxy and do different things as well. So there's tracks upon tracks upon tracks based on these actions you get. You even have a board that unlocks as you go along, uh, as as you unlock things around it, and then you get even other actions that you unlock by putting these little ships on them. It's got all that stuff. But just by placing this worker, dig, you are voting, you are putting a power there, and at the end of the round, there's actually like these little this little cards that'll tell you what's going to score that round. You take them off one one each round. Mm-hmm. And it'll basically say, hey, like it's this side or that side. So this side you get this or that side you get that. Whoever wins, whatever side wins, that's what's going to happen. And people are voting. Sometimes people are taking action specifically to vote or specifically to win that side. Mm. Because you also could win the row and get points and the most votes in a column have the tracks move in those columns. And what it does is, is it triggers in-game scoring opportunities if that little piece gets all the way around. So you are, by placing one worker, one, you have done so much. <laughs> like You are making a serious choice that could alter the, the, the whole weight of the game. Or can score you a ton of points because you're dedicating a lot to, let's say, a row. Okay, so you're saying, hey, I want to win this row. Plus, I'm trying to take strategic actions in this row because it'll work out well for me. I'll score points in the end of the round. I'll do things that I want to do. But you also have this weight of if I have workers in that column, that'll move this thing three times at the end of the round. It's got to move like eight to ten times. So sometimes you may have invested in a certain action or a certain track. And it will not score at the end of the game because you haven't voted enough to make it go around on the thing. So there's that pressure as well. Sometimes you are pressured into taking actions that will just move this thing. And you're kind of like convincing people to say, hey, don't, hey, 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 don't (laughs) place that over on that side just because you want the side to win. There's a bigger ball game here where if you don't get this and I don't put this here, then we don't score for what we've invested in the whole game. Hmm. And there's a table talk to that that happens. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And that's where the game gets really fun. It is a very rewarding game. It's it's very intense. It's a very intense game. But it's not a hard game to learn. It's just that you realize the weight of your choices very, very quickly. Like when you play the first round, you're like, oh, hey, why does he get to score four points and I don't? Oh, this whole side scores and this one doesn't? Mm. Oh, my God. And if we don't get this to the end of the track by the end of the game, we don't score the whole thing? No, you don't. Okay, well, we got to make this happen. And that's the cutthroatness of of the game, and I love that. 
Uh, I love that game. It's probably amongst the best games I've played this year. By the way, one one of the best games I've played this year, and also, in contrast, one of the best games I've played this year is an abstract game, by the way. But I think of those two games when I think of two of the best games I've played this year, and that one definitely is going to stick with me. It's coming to the U.S. via Eagle Griffin. Um, it's going to be here in August. Yeah, so they're going to. I, I thought they were going to do like a deluxify version, but I think they're just bringing it to the U.S. Definitely take that. Take a look at that on our channel on Man vs. Meeple. We do have a video for it. Uh, you should definitely check it out. And it's like one of those. It's like just a just played, so it's kind of like a nice snippet, ten minute version of the game. It's not a review. It's just kind of like, hey, we played it. Here's our reactions to it. And uh, you can definitely get a good vibe of how it is. It's a really pretty game, very bright. Uh, it's got like a purple background, but it's like got bright colors. It's very nice. Very, very nice. Hmm. Yeah. All right. I guess that means it's my turn again. I'm going to talk a little bit about a Phil Walker Harding game that Uh-oh. we played this week. We played his game, Busy Beaks. That's from his new his new imprint, Joey Games. Okay. So Joey Games is all about games about Australia, really for Australians, but, you know, sometimes opening it up to the rest of the world as well. So so in Busy Beaks, it is a set collection game of collecting birds. It's one of those kind of (laughs) games where you have a hand of cards and you're trying to build up a set in your hand, but you're also playing cards out of your hand to manipulate the cards that are on the table and hopefully pick up more of the ones that you actually want. So that's the basic idea. The box comes with, I think, 12 or 14 different varieties of birds, and you use seven. In okay. A game. There's, there's a ton of replayability in there. There's a lot of opportunities to change stuff around in there. Yeah. Okay. The, the way the game is set up is you've got a tree with three branches on it, and you start with what it looks like a grid of nine, but really it's just three rows of three. Yes. And three branches. You're trying to collect. Is it? Five? I think you need five. You need of a five bird. identical birds. Yeah. Uh, but every different kind of bird has a different way of doing something. Okay. So it might be you play a bird onto one of these branches and it allows you to draw three cards in the deck, or you play a bird and you can take two other birds from the branches that are out there and then everything okay. you know, slides over to collapse kind of thing. And so you're always drawing cards and then at the end of your turn you always draw a card. So you're you're drawing cards and you're trying to figure out how you can build up a set of cards in your hand that you can then turn in, but at the same time you have to play the cards out of your hand in order to get other cards. Okay. So it's an interesting back and forth. It's a very simple game. It's definitely I, I think most of the Joey game stuff is really designed for like an eight plus audience. Like that's that's the target for it. But, you know, the first game that we took a look at from Joey Games was Scribbly Gum, which was fantastic. Uh, It's a really, really nice flip and write game. And this is the next one in that same line. These are all illustrated by Meredith Walker Harding. So it's kind of a family. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. Okay. Little um, little wifey team. I like it. I like it. (laughs) I always like when people squat up together with their spouse. I love it. Yeah. So that's, that's Busy Beaks. Yeah. Oh wow! So, so hey, so so this is his own line. Yeah, I actually did not know about this at all. Like his old publishing line, I did not know about this at all. Like I thought Phil Walker High was just basically just giving out designs like Rainer Canizia at this point. But <laughs> you know, like Rainer Canizia just just while we're doing this podcast, just designed two games. Like literally, sure. probably, and probably. and probably figured out two or three that he can retheme and right, and right. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so. 
I, I, I was thinking of that. <laughs> I was actually only thinking that thought right now because I was like, <laughs> oh, God, really coming hard for that 700 games. <laughs> um, this sounds really fun. And this is just a card game. Uh, yeah. yeah. How does it play? What player counts did you play it at? Did you play it at two? So we, we played, played it at two. two. Uh, yeah. But I think it goes up to five or Four six. Four or five, something like that. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would like to. I'll, I'll definitely. If it plays well at two, I have you know I have a buddy at lunch that we play together, and if it plays fun at two, I might give that a go. What's that? What's the name of that one again? Busy, busy beaks. beaks. Busy. I will not forget busy beaks. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, you know how to get a hold of it. Yeah, busy I will. Beaks. I will give you a heads up. There's a little bit of setup when you open it because one of the things that they've tried really hard to do with Joey Games in general is to be very environmentally conscious. So there's okay. no there's no plastic. So when you open it up, there's like these. Well, Anitra said there's like 14 or 12 different birds. So there's like these little card boxes inside the box that you have to fold together. And yeah, there's it's assembly a little bit of a pain in the neck, to be perfectly honest oh. with you. To get it all <laughs> set up. So just, just a heads up, just a heads up that, you know, you're going to spend 10 minutes folding boxes when you first get the game. So if, if, if you don't know, I do work in the manufacturing industry as well, manufacturing and localization industry. And like one of the things that we do at Rawstone is we are like pushing for eco-friendly stuff. And uh, when we make games, uh, when we make these games in Chinese, that's one of the big incentives that we have is to try to make sure that we're doing less plastic as requested by the publisher, of course. Uh, but I think that's where gaming is moving, you know, uh, slowly but surely. Of course, price is a big barrier for a lot of people. Some things actually aren't that expensive. I'll just give you some ideas that 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 are out there right now. So they have this uh, bagasse. It's called bagasse. It's a kind of like a carton. Mm-hmm. So it's like an a carton harness mm-hmm. that that people use instead of using a plastic insert. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen yeah. That. And you can make it, it. It hardens, so it's it's hardened. So like even if you took like a deck of cards, you could kind of suction it in there. And uh, you know, uh, just recently we had. Signed a game called Endeavor. You know the new Endeavor that yeah, has yeah, like yeah. no plastic the, in it. Team, we're making yeah. we're making the game like so like oh, that. Yeah. What yeah, you yeah. see right there is what we're making. So that that kind of, that would be an idea of what I'm saying right there. Uh, or they have like these cornstarch bags. So instead of like yep. a black, you know, like you get a deck of cards and they have like a the tape wrapped around them in plastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Now there's like a thing where it's like a a bag that's like a plastic, almost like a like a baggie. But it's made of like a cornstarch material. Yeah. It, it and just it, it biodegrades a lot. Yeah, yeah. And it just biodegrades all by itself. So yeah. there's like there's definitely options coming. Uh, you can even do like the little paper envelope ish things. Yeah. Uh, people, you know, people just it's just something that people are going to get used to seeing over time. I think some people are going to think it's cheap. Not cheap. It's actually more expensive. It's more expensive, and people are doing a service to 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 yeah. be more environmental friendly. Well, and to be entirely fair to this game, Busy Beaks, if this was just about being environmentally friendly, you throw the big stack of cards in a box, you know, yep. like a like a sushi go, and and you're like, okay, we're done. Yep. You can sort them out every time you're going to play the game, or you can decide that you want to organize them differently. And they didn't do that. They said, hey, you're going to want to keep all of these little, you know, sub decks separate. That's and nice. So we're going to give you boxes to do that. Right. Okay, so that seems practical. Like that seems like okay. We yeah, we want to yeah. like we got we got room in this box. Right. You know, maybe they go like, hey, we can if we can pull this off, let's do it. Because sometimes the designers will designers have things in mind, and 
all they're going to do is on our end is they're going to ask us, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you yeah. do that? And then the final question is, what's the price? <laughs> so, you can have all the ideas in the world, just like if you get your windows done, right? You have all the ideas in the world. You got a budget in mind. And then there's a, one moment. How much does it cost? <laughs> That's the truth, right? You know, so so yeah, it's 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 an interesting business we work in, and uh, been interesting me for me to move a little bit into that side because I learned a lot about what's going on mm-hmm. and how things are changing and why people make the choices they make. Uh, so I, whenever someone tells me something interesting about a product like that, like a game like that, not only do I want to just play the game, it sounds fun, it sounds like it's right up my alley, but also that just sounds like an interesting, and I use my quote hands product. Okay, so. <laughs> be interesting to see what they did and why they did it. Yeah. All right. Well, my last game is a game with a whole bunch of plastic in it. Uh, oh, wow. Hey! You're a terrible man. I know. I know. And it is Roller Coaster Rush. Oh, there's Mandasaurus. so much plastic in that game. Oh, no. There is so much plastic there in that game. There is a lot of plastic in this game. So this is a Scott Alms game. The premise of Roller Coaster Rush is that you are building a roller coaster. So every what? player has... Get out. Stop. (laughs) Every player starts the game with a certain set of these physical roller coaster pieces and a marble that you can literally ride down all these pieces. And they're molded plastic and they have kind of like a almost like a dovetail on them. So you can actually connect them together and you drop the marble at the beginning and it can run down your roller coaster. It's a very, very thin plastic that it only stands up because of the way it's been structured. So I can at least appreciate that part. Like this is not a super durable toy. Yeah. It's not like this is those marble towers. It's not that kind of plastic. This is a very, very thin plastic, but I will like, you know what this, this plastic is almost like the plastic inserts. It's like that thickness of plastic, but all of these pieces. So you start with a set of like four or five pieces, but you only technically you only have the blueprints of the pieces. And so every turn, someone's going to nominate a piece and then everyone blind bids for it. And whoever okay. wins the bid, that piece is constructed and they literally take that physical piece from whoever had it and it goes into their permanent structure. Okay. And if you gain or lose a piece, your uh, investors become interested. And when they're interested, you can reorganize however you want to, and you can drop the marble. And you can demo your coaster. Past, yeah, you demo your coaster. Okay. However many pieces it gets past, you get that much money. And then they become uninterested again until you bid and then either win or lose something. And so this cycle keeps going all the way around until all the pieces uh, have been bought or sold, or really just bought, I guess, because you're not really selling them. Sure. And then at the end, not only are you kind of blind bidding for all these pieces, but all the pieces also have a flag count on the side of them. And the flags represent basically how difficult they are to traverse. Okay. So like the bigger humps are going to have bigger, higher flag numbers. So you're, what you're trying to do is optimize so that at the end of the game, when you drop your marble, it goes as far as you can get it to go, or at least cover as many flags, as many as you can. of these yeah. pieces yeah. as you can that are worth the most flags so that you win the game. Game has a definite toy factor to it, like super high toy factor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we played it at two. We played it at three. No, we played no, it at four. four. We played it at two and four. Um, yeah. And you don't always use all of the pieces. So it's not always the same set of pieces every time. So that, yeah. that's that's nice. There's a little bit of replayability in that, in that part of it. It's not a super deep game. 
again, this is a game with toy fact with a toy factor to it, right? Like it's just it's just what it is. You're you're bidding on pieces and literally building a roller coaster. Yep. I mean, that's that's what you're doing. Yep. And they drop marble, and the marble goes down the roller coaster. I must say, this does not sound like a good game. <laughs> like it doesn't sound fun at all. Like, and I love marbles. <laughs> I love watching marbles go down tracks. I would like to build a custom marble set, even put it on my wall with all the doodads. This does not sound fun, folks. So I the, I think the biggest problem with this game is that the tolerances aren't good enough and can't be good enough at a price point that would actually work. Okay. That you have like a really killer marble roller coaster. Yeah, because it sounds like the toy factor would not be a good thing for it. Like it doesn't seem like it would be stable enough, strong enough, like nice and like sturdy, like very sturdy, very you're confident it would stand the test of time. Which no gamer should care about because it nothing. <laughs> you, won't, you won't care about it ten years from now. But right, right. it just feels like one of those things. Like if you were to play it, you'd be like, "Oh, this is really kind of flimsy. This feels like not so exciting." Like when I, you explain it to me, I'm thinking to myself, like, there was a roller coaster roller coaster game that came out a couple years ago, and it was also a disaster. And I think it was. The same. Yeah, no, no, it was an actual roller coaster game. Oh, okay. Yeah, Steam okay. Park didn't have roller coasters. No, it, you actually no. put together a roller coaster. I can't remember the name of it, too, but it was a disaster as well because it didn't even work. But this here, I, I'm just, it sounds like more of a game, but it doesn't sound fun when you explain it. I will say that it's more durable than I expected. Okay. I yeah. will say that. But I think that you play this once or twice, you pretty much know which pieces are, are good and which pieces are not good. That's uh, not you good. You know what I mean? And yeah, yeah, like yeah. the gaminess doesn't meld well with the toy factor here. Because okay. They were trying to make it so that, hey, it is actually challenging to put together a high value roller coaster, you know, that, that your marble is going to get over all these high value things. Okay. That means you look at it and you're like, okay, well, maybe I should just go with a bunch of low value stuff because then it'll actually go over everything. And then that's not an exciting roller well, coaster. Well, I mean, to play here, with. I'll say this like a bunch of escorts. You're actually describing a strategy, which is a good nah. thing. Right? Okay. Like at least you're describing a strategy right, right. to the like, game as opposed like, to just put a bunch of junk together and see what happens. You know what but, I mean? But what, I'm, but what I'm saying is, like, if you take this seriously as a game, then the fun toy roller coaster factor becomes a lot less fun. And if you're looking at it from, hey, what's the coolest thing I can build here? Then the game part isn't fun. Like, Right. No, I, I actually think you're right. Problem. And I think that at the end of the day, what, what you're really getting at, which I entirely agree with, and it will be in our review, is that I am not convinced that if you are trying to execute mechanically, these are this is a theme that, works okay in 2023 yeah. yeah i appreciate what they're going for here but like the way the game works and the way the pieces work doesn't quite mesh right. yeah, not, so, not at a price point that a family would actually buy it so here's a here's a good example of like restoration games does a great job of taking games that are from very mm -hmm. simple time uh most recently the thunder alley whatever thunder road alley thunder road uh, but but I'm going to go back to Toy Toy Factory. Toy Toy. Uh, let's just talk like Fireball Island. Now, Fireball oh, yeah. Island, they made, they took a toy game and they put a lot of game into it. <laughs> they put, yep. like, depending on how many expansions you got, there's a lot of game in that game. Like, yeah. Way more than you bargained for. You're like, whoa, this is a lot. 
I just they, wanted to roll the ball down the mountain, right? right. And they, but they kept that really great fun right. toy factor to it. Yeah. So, so with that though, you could that game. That game actually is whoa. They added a lot to this game. I could take it back down a notch and still have a fun game. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one seems to be trying to be a game, like a game. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like it's doing the other thing. It's like, hey, no, this is a game. Like we're really making a game out of this roller coaster game. And yeah. I, I feel like maybe it's leaning into that too hard. Yeah, that's it's that's kind of what hitting I'm the mark. Like it's kind of confused in what it is. Whereas like you could definitely strip away a lot from Fireball Island and just play this normal plays like it used to, with like one or two things added to it and have a good time. And yeah. sometimes I think that's what happens is is like we try to get too cute. We try to get too smart. We try to get too innovative and that it feels like this game is missing it. Yeah, I, what it, it just doesn't have the special sauce, whatever that yeah, is. It have you, that know, special I mean, sauce. you know, what might work is some kind of a theme park game where like there happens to be a roller coaster in it that you can roll a marble down, but it's not right. a core element of the game. So you're not trying to min max the thing. You know what I mean? Perfect. Perfect idea. Perfect so, idea. Or just at, if you have this, this Ferris wheel at the end of the game, you get X points or whatever, like something, whatever, just not the actual game. So anyway, so that's my yeah. game, the dud. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a very quick break? We'll come back and we'll just kind of talk about some stuff yeah. and then we'll wrap up. All right. Nature, it's spring. You know what that means. Warmer weather, flowers, and allergies. But as much as we sigh when we see pollen all over the place, it's an important part of our ecosystem. Along with all of the bees, beetles, butterflies, and other insects that help spread it. That's true. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today in our snap review for Pollen from All Play. Pollen is a two to four player tile laying game by Reiner Kinesia, and it takes about 10 to 15 minutes per player. The box says it's for ages 11 up, but you can probably go down to about eight years old or so. We did. Let's talk about how it looks. So I cannot say enough about these gorgeous meeples, they call them, with metallic iridescent paint on the meeples. Bug pulse. Beeples. Beeple? Beeple. I cannot say enough about these gorgeous beeples with this metallic iridescent paint on them. But that's not all. The game is illustrated by Beth Sobel, and the cards and the pollinator tokens are just gorgeous. They're full of flowers and detail, and frankly, the insects on the cards look incredibly realistic. The bumblebees look fuzzy. (laughs) Not only is the art fantastic, the iconography is fantastic as well. The symbols could not be more clear, and they're placed in the corners, which makes scoring very easy to calculate. There's four colors in the game, and each one also is represented by a very distinct type of flower. So speaking of the four colors of cards... What do they mean and what do we do with them? Let's talk about the mechanics. Sure. So each player starts this game with their own deck of 15 garden cards. You'll shuffle them up and then each player will draw five. Put all the pollinator tokens in the bag and draw one of them face up as the next up token. Each turn you'll plant, pollinate, and attract before drawing a card to end your turn. 
To plant, you place a garden card from your hand onto the table with a corner touching at least one of the pollinator tokens. To pollinate, you look for any pollinator tokens that are now surrounded by four garden cards. Each pollinator token shows one or more of the three pollinators, butterflies, bees, and beetles, and you'll score as many as show on the token. Stars on the cards are wild and can be counted multiple times for those different pollinators. Whoever wins a pollinator gets one of those super sweet bug meeples. Meeples! Meeples. (laughs) After you pollinate, you attract. If there is an empty pollinator spot next to at least two garden cards of different colors, you'll take that next up token and put it there. There's more than one spot like this. You're going to have to draw an extra token from the bag and pick where each one of those tokens go. Then replace the next up token. The game ends when one of the three meeple type runs out, or the pollinator tokens run out, or all players have run out of garden cards. Then it's time to score. Scoring has three parts. Everyone sorts out their three types of scoring beeples and looks for who has the majority in each type. If one player has the majority in two types, they automatically win. No other scoring is necessary. Otherwise, any player who does not have any majorities, they get eliminated. Of the players that are left, each one sets aside the meeples that gave them that majority and count up the bug meeples they have in the other two types of bugs. The player with the highest count of non-majority bugs <laughs> wins the game. So, Anitra, let's talk about what we expected from this bug-themed game pollen. It's beautiful nature-themed art. Beth Sobel's name is right there on the front of the box, and you can tell from the way it looks. The cards have this unique square shape with the cutout corners, and it suggests to me that the game was going to be a card-laying, tile-laying kind of thing, like one of my personal favorite solo games, A Gentle Rain. We also expected this game to be relatively quick and relatively relaxed, or not too intense of a game to play. But let's talk about what surprised us about this game. Uh, First surprise... There's no actual matching of the cards. Um, these are both butterflies, but it's not like you're like, oh, I'm going to put a butterfly card next to your butterfly card. Instead, it's about forming around a token and seeing who has the majority. Along those lines, it's less relaxed of a game than we expected. Yeah, it's not super crazy, but sometimes it gets a little bit intense when you really want to put a tile somewhere or a card somewhere and somebody else does it before you. There's also a lot of, oh, I really want to put a card here, but then I'm giving up a scoring meeple to somebody else. Am I willing to do that? The game does strike a nice balance on analysis paralysis because there just aren't that many decisions to make, but you do run into the mental math of what you were just talking about. Well, and part of that is because the scoring itself is weird. You definitely want to get the majority in some kind of bug, but you don't want to focus on only one bug. It's your non-majority bugs that will win you the game, but also not having any majorities will kick you out of the game. You'll get eliminated. And that leads to kind of our last surprise, which is wilds. Wilds in this game are really powerful. When you put a wild into a scoring area for a token, you're able to use it for each kind of bug, and that can really shift how the scoring works for any given token. Because of these decisions and the powerfulness of the wild, the game can go a little long, um, especially at four players. The box says 40 plus minutes. We say 15 minutes per player. And at that fourth player, that does get a little bit long. So, Andrew, 
What do you think we're going to rate Pollen by Rainer Kinesia? I think we're going to rate Pollen three and a half pollinators out of five. And that's Pollen in in a a snap. snap. Jeremy, who is matching my energy on the screen. It's great. Uh, and uh, we're just going to talk about a couple more games that we think are cool. And, yeah. Uh, life. Yeah. yeah man. Jeremy, you always have the insight on the new stuff, the hot, the hotness. Whoa. You're giving me lots of credit. All over the place. And, well, uh, and I, I have full confidence that you're going to bring some hot, hot games to the Family Gamer well, Podcast. Well, I think we, I think. I think what we should do is we shouldn't speed too fast into the future. I do have, I got some games over here. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give away all the goods. But what we'll do <laughs> is we'll talk about some of the games that people, you know, people are getting killed by these crowdfunding. They're talking about crowdfunding, crowdfunding, crowdfunding. Games are coming out that aren't Kickstarter games, you know, and yeah. they're not delivering from Kickstarter. So I'm going to give you. Uh, just these games that I think are that are not delivering, they, they're out in retail and they never were on crowdfunding. So, for example, Dice Manor. Dice Manor is this game that I paid zero attention to when it was announced. It's by Arcane Wonders. Two to four players, plays in about an hour, hour, hour 30 tops. And what you're doing is, is you're taking these dice and you're doing multiple things with them. You get a set of seven dice, you roll the dice, and what you're trying to do is, is you're placing it a bit on tiles, you're placing it a bit on uh, like the blueprint board, or you're running your manor. So you're trying to take tiles and make a manor route uh, with different colors and different numbers, and you're trying to trigger those to score points. Now, the cool part about this game is when you're bidding these dice, you can bid as many as you want with the same number, okay? So if you have three dice with three, you can bid two in one spot and one in the other spot. And it's got to be in the three spot on the blueprints. So you're trying to also win blueprints. But if someone comes in with more dice than you or more dice but of a higher number, they get to push your bid out. And what happens is is there's like this interaction between everybody. and There's like an intensity that happens around the board based on this. Now, here's here's the kicker. You don't lose. You may get punted out, but you don't lose-lose. You get reroll tokens and you get tokens that help you manipulate the dice as you go along. So you'll always have something. But the ultimate goal is to have this manner full of different colors so you have the majority of colors, have the most rooms, uh, and also be able to have visitors, which are your dice, these guests that come through and uh, look at your 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 building. Uh, and you're trying to score the most points by having numbers, let's say, random number, three, 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 and three. And you're trying to make these routes through there so you can score more and more points and whoever has the most points at the end of the game wins i can't express enough how much i love this game it plays very quickly it's very much a uh intense kind of like uh kind of beat each other up with your bids kind of thing you're gonna have people who come in at the end and be like oh man they rolled four fours what are they gonna do are they gonna leave me alone are they gonna push me out or are they gonna use those four fours to activate their building, which has all four areas in it, because they get points for it. So there's there's that intense part of the game that uh, you, you have this weight of choices. Or you may go, hey, I don't want this person to get uh, this like this little blueprint thing where they get to move their houses and dice across from each other, and they get points. 
Well, I don't want them to get those points for free, nor do I want them to get their dice. So I'll go in and bid as well. You know, like I'll go in and bid and push them out. And then somebody goes, well, now I've rolled full fours. I'll push that out. And then everybody still gets something. But it's definitely like uh, definitely an intense experience. And it's just a, it's also fun and light. It's fun and light, but there's definitely that tension. And if you kind of like that old school way of like, I don't know, like there's a kind of like this old school kind of uh, conflict in games, right? Like if you rolled a six back in the day, you beat everybody at something, right? You know, like, hey, if you you did this first, you, you came in first. And I feel like that's there, that old school kind of thing. But there's still that strategy and there's still that choice that didn't exist sure. back then. You know, it was like, hey, I rolled two sixes. I bumped you out. Well, there's actually a lot more choice with those two sixes than normal. So I, I do like that about the game. I did. We did rate it on uh, MVM. I gave it a nine. I just thought this game, it, it's definitely in my top 10 for this year. I, I don't see 10 games, nine games or t- more than 10 games being better than this game. I just uh-huh. absolute surprise for me. Definitely an absolute surprise for me. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Another one that I had is Koale. Koale is an abstract game where you're trying to get four of your stones in a row or diagonal or anyway. Right. I mean, so far sounds like a lot of abstract games. It's, so, this is a, uh, one of those Jigamic uh, games, right? Yeah, Jigamic. Yes. Yeah, Jigamic. Good job on that, by the way. And what you're trying to do is you have these stones in the corners. And what you're doing is, is you take, take a stack, okay? And you take the stack and you move one spot and then you release a stone every spot after that. So you're leaving a trail of stone. Okay. And what you're doing is, is you may pick up as you go along, stacks will cross each other and things of that nature. But what you're doing is you're taking a look at how those stacks are coming up. Now, uh, you may be of a certain age. I don't know. Okay. We're not going to tell our ages here, but. There's a game called Burger Time, okay? I don't know if you remember Burger Time. I know what you're talking about. All right, anyway. There's no salt and pepper. This is quality. Let's stay focused, okay? But anyway, so in Burger Time and quality, you're going to be picking up kind of a combination of yours and someone else's pieces at some point. And you have to decide, like, which stack you're going to grab because – you're going to have to move and then lay those out, and you could be unlocking another pattern for someone else. Mm-hmm. It's a very smart game. Very smart game. I'm a big Gigamic fan. I am a, uh, one, of my top, one of my top 10 favorite games of all time is Quarto. And my buddy David, this is one of his top 20 games of all time, and he said he thinks it might be better than Quarto. He's a fool. I do not agree with him. <laughs> That's very hyperbolic, but I did play it for an entire weekend, and it was one of the two games we played, and we played it all weekend. It's a great one to to talk when you're talking and playing, just having a cup of coffee and talking. You know, it's always going to have that move like Quarto, where you're just kind of like, wait, wait, whoa, 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 hold on now, let me put my dang on, let me put my coffee down real quick here. Now hold on, <laughs> I got I got to think more carefully. About yeah, this hold on now, hold on. Right, I got to go. It's not one of those. Mode. It's not those yeah. moments in it because you're picking up a stack and you're like. You're looking at the pieces and you're like, okay, so there's two of mine down there. There's one of hers and then mine on the top. How am I going to move this around? Mm-hmm. Like, what's my route look like? And then you may start to pick up something and move it. And you're like, oh, no, I'm taking that back, 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 back. So beep, 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 it does have a little bit of that chaos in it. And you're going to have to maybe house rule a little bit. 
But what I found is, is this is a, probably one of the best ways to, to, to pass in a good hour by, get a good three or four games in and just have a great time. Sure. Definitely a good conversation starter. If your spouse or your friend like to just kind of have a date time and just talk and just play something, this would be one of those games to play. Love it. And I, I highly suggest you definitely want to play it with your kids. Uh, you know, it's only a two-player game, but it's definitely one of those types of games that has that range. If you're an abstract lover, this is a must-buy. No question. Love it. Nice. Yeah. What do you think, Anisha? You want to sneak one more in? Yeah, why not? All right, we'll sneak one more in. One one more recommendation from the great Jeremy Howard. Oh, my gosh. What do you man. got, okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll close it out with Earth. Earth has been a game that was on crowdfunding. All right, so uh, Earth is a game for one to four players. I played this back when we had the like the preview stage, and uh, everybody on our team just loved the game. Uh, Emily, in fact, is it's probably one of her top five games of all time. She loves this game. She just plays it all the time. She will teach it to anybody. There is a reason why. This game is very, very fun. It takes about an hour, hour and a half to play. You think you can play up to five players. I would highly recommend you don't play with more than three. It takes forever to play. And that's because you can't hold people accountable. That's one of the flaws of the game. But what you're trying to do in this game is you are trying to play cards into a four-by-four tableau. And you are trying to basically trigger abilities on those cards and also stack them up with uh, little pieces that end up being like this, like little stalk tree stalks, little tiny tree stalks that score points. You add like vegetate. I think they're vegetation squares that are on there that are used as a, a resource to buy, uh, to pay for things and also give you points. Uh, and then there's just general abilities that trigger when you take certain actions because there's different colors on there and they match the actions. Now this is a familiar system to several games but in this game, you're going to take an action, do that version, and then everybody else at the table is going to get a lesser version of that oh, action. Yeah. Yep. So yep, yep. that's a very common, it's becoming a very common thing. Uh, what I do like about this game is it's not, nothing's innovative about it. It just feels good at what it does. And the, this does several different things. It's got a compost pile where you bury cards, uh, sort of like Endless Winter, if you play Endless Winter. You bury cards, those cards turn to points. You have uh, these different things that give you uh, combinations. So you have a card that you draft that is kind of like your scoring card. Your your environmental card will tell you what kind of cards you get at the beginning of the game. You also have like you just have these different things. You even have scoring goals that are kind of like the social scoring goals that whoever gets to them first gets those points. The thing is, is that once you start to get this tableau out there, you're starting to find things that when I take this action, this triggers, that triggers, and this triggers. And then you start to feel the feeling of, okay, so if I have uh, this type of tree, this type of landscape, and this type of landscape, and this column, I get points. You start to feel the feeling of, whoa, I'm going to get a lot of points. Mm. I got a lot of points. And then you look to your right across the table because they have their own little 16 cards they're working on over there. They got a whole bunch of cards. You're like, what is going on over there? They look like they got a lot of points. And and that's the key. Everybody's going to score a lot of points. It's almost like tapestry. Tapestry, everybody scores a lot of points. And the the, the feeling is, is no matter how you play this game, it's, it's a bit fiddly because it's got all these little pieces you put on top of each other, and they got the little tops on them, and you can – easily knock them over you got little bits that you're putting on there so you got the bits on the card and you got these little pieces you're putting on the card they can be a little iffy sometimes especially if you have a lot of them somebody comes over and knocks the table <laughs> good luck uh good luck 
But there's a, the accountability thing. You can't see, you know, people on the other side of the table, like what, what are they triggering off? How are they triggering it off? Do we have to go sure. through an entire turn every time to see what they're doing? There's that. But overall, you're going to have a good feeling whether you win or lose because you feel like you've learned the game. You feel like you've learned, uh, maybe you've le- even learned about biomes and systems and things of that nature. If that that's something that you seek out, there is that in there. You know, it's not so deep, but some people will look past that and some people will see it as a learning opportunity. I see it as both. Yeah, I think it's just a pleasing game to play. I often use that term for games that constantly reward you, either on the turn all the time or they give you benefits even though you didn't play the best game. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and that because there's euros that are traditional, they pay, they give you points for efficiency, yep. and when you lack efficiency, you get negative points or you get none. Yep. One of the two, you get none or you get negative. You're like, why do I have 28 and the other guy has 143? <laughs> yeah. Well, this game, you could lose, score 110 points. The next person could have 145 and the other person could have 213. And then you'll have your next game and you score 151. The other person scores 243, but you felt like you played a good game. You still played a good game. Mm-hmm. You know, you feel like you got combos going on. You you were playing for this combo. Yeah, you didn't get a chance to do that. Or you had an event trigger off and it triggered off all your cards. You're going to have moments. You're still going to have your moment yeah. and, many, and little moments during the game. So I would say, especially for family gamers, this is a really very, very good game. It's it's very easy to uh, to digest the rules. It looks like more than it is. I would say one of the biggest gripes that people may have initially is you can have an infinite amount of cards in your hand. So you could have a lot of cards and you may start going like, what am I going to do with these cards? Mm. So I have so many cards. What am I going to do with them? And you may want to find a way to bury them. That's why they have that mechanic in there. They they have that mechanic where it's called a composting. But you also have that thing of just like, there's too many cards in my hand. So picture a kid that's like eight to 10 years old. They got 10 cards in their hand and they're like, looking through them for one action. There's no difference yeah. between that kid, that 10 year old and me. I'm sitting here like, okay, okay, okay. Am I going to use this one for three or this one or here? You know, like that's the thing, you know, it's just that that's a, that's a gripe. As you can see, I have these minor gripes, but things that you need to pay attention to. But overall the game is fantastic. It's got a really good competitive solo mode to it. Uh, very competitive solo mode if you're into that. Um, so I highly recommend it for that as well. Just a very good experience. Uh, one of the games that I think is going to be up for Game of the Year on a lot of channels. I definitely feel like it's yeah. going to be up for Game of the Year. Yeah, it's had a lot of that buzz. I would not be surprised yeah. to see that happen. Yeah. I agree. All right. I, I mean, I think that that is a show. Mr. Jeremy Howard, thank you so much for coming hey, on again and chit-chatting yeah. with us for a little bit. Yeah, no, thank you thank you for having me, man. I love coming on, talking to you and catching up and just talking about games. There's always so many games to talk so about. Not enough time, not enough time to play. There's so much to share. Uh, so yeah, it's awesome to come on here and talk about. Right. Well, you mentioned you mentioned a couple things. You mentioned uh, Rawstone. You mentioned Man vs. Meeple. Where can people find you on the internet if they want to see all your good stuff? Yeah, so you can always you can always 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 find me on Man vs. Meeple. That's my home. That's where I live. Those are my homies. I'm part of that team, and that's who we are. Uh, Man vs. Meeple on on uh, YouTube. You can also find me in my own little Facebook group because I never killed it. It is called Jambalaya Plays Games Community. Uh, That is where I keep most of my content when I'm hanging out, maybe doing some impromptu live streams, things of that nature that stay in there. 
uh, that's not affiliated with Manverse Meeple. It's just my own little personal Nature hangout. In that community. Yeah, it's just a place to hang out. I guess it's my Facebook version of Discord. <laughs> 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 like, I just won't let the Facebook right. people die. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's like a place that you can just come hang out and just post random stuff. I tell people, you can post whatever you want. I don't have like 50 rules like other groups do. Just don't post anything stupid so I have to kick you out. And that's <laughs> not it. You could just post something like, hey, I didn't have a great Tuesday. I'm fine with that. It doesn't matter to me. Like People will lift you up. It's an uplifting group. We're supposed to have some good time. Share games. Share what's going on in your life. Hey, we're, we're good to go. All right? Love it. All right. Well, Anitra, you know there's a bunch of different places where people can get a hold of the family gamers. Uh, there is. We also have a Facebook group. Easiest way to get there is actually go to thefamilygamers.com slash community. But if you look for The Family Gamers Community on Facebook, you'll probably find it there too. You can contact us more or less directly on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and all those places at Family Gamers AA. You can also email us, Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Check out our Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids merchandise and your A Balanced Life merchandise as well at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Some good stuff on there. It's so nice that uh, up here in the frozen north, it's finally warm enough to wear my t-shirt <laughs> yeah, without t-shirt weather. extra layers. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about the show and leave us a review. Please, please, please leave us a written review at Apple Podcast or whatever your podcast subscription source is. You can also find us on Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Last but certainly not least, we want to thank our sponsor. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Thanks again to the team over there for sponsoring another episode of the Family Gamers podcast. All right, Jeremy, that's it. Thanks again for coming on. We really appreciate it. It's always a lot of fun. Yes. Thank you so much, man. I look forward to 50 episodes from now coming over here. <laughs> <laughs> like All right. That sounds good. Well, until then, and also next week, play games with your kids. kids.